like the person that we assist, um, like they're born into chaos, like generations of chaos and, and then they lose family. Like, so that's the number one reason we believe that there's chronic homelessness is the tragic loss of family. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. And we're live. Coming to you live from, <laughs> from Georgia, Texas, and Florida. Hey. Yeah, very conservative show. Yes, very, yes. <laughs> very Republican. We, we pretty much cover the South. <laughs> This is really just, this has been, um, what's not mea culpa, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like your mea penance culpa. for um, the other podcast. That, oh, oh, well, maybe maybe yes. that's not going to be released. This is let's start that, Ben's, yeah. Okay, let's start with so, how, yeah, okay, go ahead. How did this come to be? <laughs> I We recorded an episode where I ranted about homeless people and got so angry and am so uninformed that I thought we should not publish that episode. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, we should reach out to Rachel, our sister, who works at a homeless shelter, to ask her some questions. So Rachel uh, works at Gospel Inc., mm -hmm. which is a Christ-centered community nonprofit providing home and micro work opportunities to the formerly homeless at a place called Gospel Village. And their mission there is to cultivate community among friends on the street and assist them through providing housing and dignified income opportunities. So I thought, yeah, maybe you could introduce yourself to everyone who's listening. Okay. Hey. <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm the office. Don't worry. There's only like 10 people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the office administrator at Gospel Inc. So, you know, responsible for, I always tell people, just paying the bills, keeping the lights on, bookkeeping, payroll, any important document is on my desk and I take care of it. <laughs> how many people how many people actually make up the organization like employee wise? Oh, employees. 8. We have 8 staff right now. Mm. So we're so, small. So so even so pretty much no matter what including yourself, you would know you you see the intimate workings of it. Oh yeah. So office administrator pretty much knows exactly Top to bottom, I definitely I have like a hub position, so I know um, a lot about every department because they all have to communicate to me about different items. So I know, and I'm just actively involved. Like right now, I'm purposely working in the back of another staff member's office just so I can be more involved on like the day to day resident care. You know. Oh yeah, so. Tell us about this place and how many people are there. Okay, yeah. So um, just to correct you ki kindly, it's not actually a oh, shelter. So I work at a village. And so the difference between a homeless shelter would be uh, a shelter is for like an emergency. 
uh, basis for mm-hmm. like someone who like, say you lose your job and you have no where to go, like a shelter should be used for emergencies, right? Like maybe up to two weeks. Like that's why they were created is for emergencies. They weren't actually created to house people for a long, long time. Like that's not healthy. It's not, doesn't make you more stable. It actually probably makes you more unstable. So anyway, so we, uh, me and some friends back in my college days, which was like 15 years ago or something, we decided, oh, let's go feed homeless people on uh, Friday nights, you know, instead of being reckless, let's like do something with our lives. And so it started there where you're like, oh, these people need Wait, food. the whole, this whole thing that you're about to tell us about started when you were, should have been drinking and yeah. partying and you were like, yeah. hey, let's instead, let's just go feed homeless people. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly okay. it. Interesting. Yeah. I was not uh, the drinker party girl in college. I was uh, trying to feed homeless people. Yeah. No, it was like our freshman year. We decided okay, let's go do something. And it, I would say like most of that, you know, I had a good group of friends and one of the people in that group, you know, previously partied a lot. So that I think, you know, he maybe got it out all out of his system. It's like a life not worthwhile. And so it's like, okay, I want to live purposely. And what does that look like? And he, for some reason, related a lot to homeless people. And so he wanted to help them. So you start off, you think, oh, they need to be fed. What's funny now is like years, years later, homeless people don't need food. Like they can get food from anywhere. So it developed mm. into, um, you know, well, what happened was it was, you know, you gather to feed, but then it's that community, you know, and you're hanging out, you're singing songs, you're just doing whatever. I mean, you could just be playing bingo till like midnight. And that was just like every Friday night in college. And that's where it mm. became beautiful. And you realize, okay, this is more than just uh, feeding people. Like they just need a friend. Like they have no friends. They have no family. And so at some point I moved away, right? Me and Ryan moved to Michigan. And um, mm, and then that's right. and then they turned it into an art studio space where women could come into a space during the day because if you think about like what homeless people do all day right you you think they're outside begging for money or most women are like running away from somebody and so so they Mm. started uh they Mm. opened the space up for ladies to come in and just have a safe space to just be or do art or drink freaking coffee whatever they want to do and then what space was this? So was there a building? Did somebody get a building? Yeah, they used or a church building. A property or something? Well, they were just borrowing like a church space. And then um they moved into a space. They actually we still use this space for outreach, which is actually attached to where I live right now. So like I live in this tiny apartment complex, there's twelve units, but there's a studio space attached to it. So it's basically like a coffee shop right there. And so they come in uh, and we share the courtyard space with the residents, like residents who live here are aware that the outreach center is here and that, you know, you're welcome to interact or you're welcome to, you know, give them space to do whatever they want. to. I mean, it's really relaxed. It's just for women here at this space. And then at some point, the one you currently came back to that you're talking that you're talking about. Well, just the outreach center. Um, But at some Mm. point while I was gone, they explored like um, group homes 
And so they were able to purchase two homes and that didn't work out. Who's doing all this? How how are y'all doing this? Wait, let's back. Can we back up now for a second? So, because I think broad topics, we probably want to talk about uh, homelessness and the people because homeless people are people too. Um, (laughs) But then there's this thing, this like, concept that you guys have come up with that I find and I know that anybody that listens to this would find really fascinating especially now uh because homelessness is so trendy because mm. I have this question that feels like a primer so Ben's been traveling he's been in like California he's been in Texas specifically he's been spent some time in Austin and like broadly speaking on like the national conversation it seems like those are like so first of all it seems like homelessness is like it must be bigger than ever before like it's it's expanding whatever you is that how we say it? homelessness is expanding it's a growing thing problem or whatever it, it's either that or a lot more attention being brought to it but based on assuming that the attention is justified uh, Ben's, like I was saying, the places he's been, which is why we had that initial conversation that may or may not be pu- published, um, <laughs> is encountered these kind of hot, some of these hot spots of homelessness. Right. Do you know, as someone who's like hanging out, not that you would get this information from the homeless, but just being in that, I don't know if you call it an industry or that world, mm-hmm. um, do you know much about the thing that's going on now with homelessness in the country does that does it does there any insights you think you have about that well it's like you it is like you said i mean it is just gonna it's gonna be a growing problem like anything you know you're gonna have more people and then uh just more coverage you know where people are trying to bring attention to that and help either help or just complain about it um it is interesting if you see some of the cities who are doing it wrong, you know, like you've got Skid Row in California where it's like, I don't know, a mile. Like these, like these tent cities kind of places. I mean, that that is like, yeah. I mean, that's blocks of, uh, it's just wildness. It doesn't make sense. You know, you get people ODing. Uh, I don't, that doesn't make sense. Like, and it's a problem that they've let go so far that you're, I'm not sure you'll ever recover. I mean, it's just like world worthy. And so I thankfully live in a small city, but you've got like the in-between cities like um, Austin, Texas. We're actually based off a model there. It's called Mobile Loaves and Fishes. And um, and they just hmm. they started it's called what? Mobile Loaves and Fishes. So they started off same as us feeding the homeless and this was years ago i mean they're like 50 years old it's a it's a bigger way bigger organization and austin's way bigger though so it makes sense that they're way bigger but um yeah started feeding the homeless and then they realized like oh no you need to house these people and they're not shelter homeless so there is a distinct difference so you've got you've got homeless who go to the shelter hopefully for a day or up to two weeks. Like that is the goal of a shelter person, but we serve the chronically homeless. So those are people who are homeless a year or more. So, so people that like fall on hard times and actually, so I imagine like we were talking about this too recently, I think where if you just like 
don't have anybody. I guess that is more common than you might think. Like if you just lost a job, couldn't pay rent, and they just booted you. Like there's little backstops in place. Like you get 30 days to get kicked out or two weeks or whatever. But ultimately, you can just end up – you can be basically just a normal everyday person that was 10, 10 days ago was totally functional member of society, and then you just end up homeless and that's where these shelters come in. That's really that's really more of a shelter person. Like the person right. that we assist, um, like they're born into chaos, like generations of chaos. Mm-hmm. And and then they lose family. Like so that's the number one reason we believe that there's chronic homelessness is the tragic loss of family. And I'm talking like they, they have no nurturing community. Even if you don't have your family members there's plenty of people out there who like have a nurturing community or a friend. I'm telling you like some good friends. Yeah. Yeah. Like most of the people I have like that we help do not have that. They have nothing. They have no living. A lot of times they've lost um, both parents. So either one has is deceased or the other one has abandoned them. So, and then the rest of their mm. family abandon them or have no to- matter what age really they are like as a home like at when they're homeless it does it seems like that just kind of fits oh yeah consistently but typically like our people are 40 and up mm. and you still so that's interesting i you would still notice that it's like you think oh if you're like a kid and you lose your parents and then you're just flung out into foster but even these like older people like because we're that's what i mean like we're in our 20s or 30s and still have our parents and that's still a huge benefit. Oh yeah, no. At, even at 30 years old, it's ridiculously beneficial to have parents who have are still living rich or poor. Well, yeah, so the trauma that we think we have experienced, mm-hmm. like the three of us, if you combine our trauma, mm-hmm. it's it's still not even probably 30% of what one of the people I help mm-hmm. has been through and they were born into trauma. Like you said, we have both our parents, like we're white, you know, for a lot of the people I house. Mm-hmm. I've actually, my eyes have really been opened on just different backgrounds and what that means for different people. And uh, so, yeah, we have, a, we're, we have a lot of steps up. No matter what we've been through, I can promise you, like it in no way compares to the trauma that most of the people I work with um, have been through. So are you, is the town you live in an average makeup? Like it's mostly white people, 13% black people, and then the breakdown is no, like as a normal city? Or is it... That's a good um, question. I would actually have to look that up. But for the people, I don't think... I don't know. At the village, at least... Because I was going to ask to compare it then to the village, the people that end up there. Because you said there's even just like being white has made like a big difference and that's also another big topic now with like inclusion and dei and all of this stuff and like how people are saying it's well the answer somewhere in between even and but you've seen even just for the african-americans that i work with um to hear a cop car go by um i have witnessed like the trauma that or the ptsd that like they experience and it's maybe they don't even have a criminal background most of them do but say they only experience like the crimes of their parents. And Mm. so I've got one girl, um, woman, I mean, she's in her thirties, so she's my age. And, uh, 
you know, dad abandoned her, but she lived with mom. She had a stepdad um, who raped her. Okay, so that's not normal. So so you're, you're in so much trauma already. And then... Um, and then he was like the cocaine drug lord of Winter Haven, which is like the next city over. So she was wow. raised okay. off to a good start. So she was raised selling cocaine like for her stepdad, like because that's normal. Like that's how you make money because you know for you're her, for her rapist stepdad. Yeah, you're uneducated, so you mm-hmm. in their minds like they think it's not even it doesn't make sense to even finish high school and become educated. Like you can't even think that far. They do not think that far. They think that they're not capable. And so they just, so they'll drop out, right? Like, so she's a dropout in like the eighth grade or something and then sold drugs, Mm. like had so many charges for selling drugs. And then finally got a felony for, um, you know, writing prescriptions, got caught writing scripts for something. So it's probably Mm. good to step back and realize, like you said, we all have trauma. Yeah. Sometimes really traumatic traumas, but they're, that's a whole nother level. No, it's, I think, I, th- I don't think that's probably the norm. Oh, no. I mean, I could, I could really like shock you, I think. I mean, I've, I've worked with people who have been, and that same girl, just to continue on, if I just want to continue on the same person, she also, mm-hmm. um, her, she lost her mother like seven years ago. So that's who she was living with. Okay. A year or two later, like all of a sudden develops seizures, like starts having seizures and it could be trauma related. They don't really know, Mm. but, and she's a huge girl. I mean, she's a, she is a like six foot tall African-American lesbian black woman. Like, so she's just like this hardcore (laughs) uh, image (laughs) presence. Like she is a presence and I love her. I mean, I love her so much, but, um, so she has seizures all the time, but because of like the layers of trauma, it has been an experience working with her for five years now. And we've been housing her. Wow. For five years. And that's not an uncommon story. I mean, that specifically, but for these, the people that end up in this like chronic homelessness, yeah. it's like just riddled with stories like this, I imagine. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The, um, like the sexual trauma people have experienced or physical or mental. I mean, any level of um, abuse or neglect. Like these guys have it tenfold compared to anything that I had heard previously. It it really makes you wonder. It has to be a common for all these people that we see, like you were saying, Skid Row, these tent cities, these homelessness, these massive growing homelessness populations, even if there's some kind of strange, because I'm so, I'm just a skeptical mind. So I'm like, are some of these people just lazy working some system yes. or something? Yeah. Like what's going on? You know what's but, funny I mean, is even if the people who can work the system, um, they're not typically out on the street. Like the people who, because if you're working the system, mm. you're going to find housing, you're going to get food, you're going to be able right. to get some. You don't want to be cold at night. Yeah. Like, no, the, right. so they're smart enough to work the system. My people are not. Like the people we help. Um, yeah. The other day, I, not the other day, in, in December, actually, when we all met, I was really like processing a resident who was dying. 
And um, anyways, this when we housed her, she was able to reunite with her daughter, which was really beautiful. Our daughter's 12 years old. They're both autistic. They both have multiple other disorders that have been undiagnosed and um, have experienced a lot of trauma. Like the mom was abducted and horrible things happen. So anyways, we house her though, and she's able to reunite with the daughter. She dies in December. Well, um, mm. we decide like, okay, can we bring the dad in the picture, you know? And so, uh, so thankfully we were able to bring the dad into the village and we actually housed him in her unit. Um, but this guy didn't even have food stamps. Um, you know, mm. wasn't using the system because the more I get to know him, you know, I realize he isn't capable to use the system. So, so we had to help him, you know, just to get food stamps so you could feed your daughter now, or now you can, you can get some other benefits since, um, the wife passed away and things like that. And now we actually transitioned him. Literally today, I helped him sign a lease for a new place. So he's moving out. So that's the that's the rare situation. We don't actually transition people. So the people we work with, like I said, they're chronically homeless because they've experienced an insane amount of trauma that they will not be able to transition. They might get jobs here and there. Most of them do. A lot of the guys like they'll go and find a side hustle, you know, they'll cut yards for somebody or, um, just randomly get jobs as like maintenance type things. Right. But yeah. Yeah. So how many people, um, do you have in your place and like, what is it like? So I think they, you said they can live there or whatever yeah. and they have their own little places. Right. So a few years ago we were able, we got a lot smarter about, um, utilizing grants. So there's so many grants out there that provide, you know, funds for housing. And so we were able to purchase this uh, trailer park. It's been here since like the seventies and we used a million dollar COVID grant to purchase this trailer park in 2021. And so there were 36 units. We actually got rid of a few because they looked like, a hurricane hit yesterday and I don't know how people were living oh in gosh. it. So we did get rid of a few and um, we had transitioned initially a couple people out. We actually have kept most of the people though. So half the village are actually low income residents that we inherited and, um, but they're low income. So they're not far off. There's still people that we would assist, um, but they're not. So you do have a few in there that are not, they have experienced homelessness and they would probably be homeless if we hadn't taken over the village because the current, the, the former landlord, you know, just kept raising the rent like everyone does. Well, you can't do, you can't do that if you live on a disability check or, or you work at the right. dollar general or something for a few bucks a week, you know, you can't keep receiving an increase. So, so someone could just make a bunch of money. So anyways, mm. so we moved in, all the people that we were housing all over Lakeland with another grant. And so now we house, uh, we have 42 people there. Wow. 31 units. And yeah. So how do, how is the average journey to like the 
village or whatever like how does someone end up at the village and then what happens once they're there yeah so we meet them through our outreach program so back in the day we used to do the friday nights you know we would go out into the community serve dinner just walk the streets literally you're walking the streets to get to know people and then Mm -hmm. we have the outreach center so we're regularly coming into contact with homeless women because it's a safe space for women eventually we hope to have still an outreach center for men Um, We kind of need to step that up. But to be honest, right now, we're kind of focused on housing the folks that we have now and just developing that community, what we have right now. And so hopefully we have raised a lot of private funds and we have a lot of grants, a few, you know, we're we still technically need three million more dollars, which we're hoping we get. (laughs) <laughs> to Goodness. break Easy. ground on 48 more units this summer. So we're going to move forward with that. We're moving forward with the construction because we have some grants that will cover <laughs> that. And then uh, you just have a lot of faith. But we are we are planning to build, we've started to build 48 more units. So y'all wow. literally run like a commune a miniature (laughs) city yes right i mean it's so uh yeah that's so interesting so and it's also interesting to me that the way that it starts like this is right up ben's alley but it's so interesting that in the in a perfect world or the way that you guys started out before you quickly reach capacity i guess is it actually starts with and this is the part of ben's alley like getting to know like actually not getting to know like googling it mm-hmm. like walking around in the community and like meeting essentially like the regulars yeah like just the people who are out there like who's out on the streets like all the time yes. what's their story what's going on what's your name yeah what do you do yeah like i can name you multiple women i don't house right now you know and they've been homeless since i've been here like since i've moved back so five years Mm. literally doing the so Lord's I plan work. to house them you know they're on the list right so right now we're not a referral based system like no one refers uh we have housed a couple people that were referred to us but for the most part they're people that we know and we have tracked them for years and uh and that's the goal is to we're trying to house the people who have been homeless the longest mm. well i was just curious about the Men versus women. Is it mostly women no. that are homeless? No, no. Or? Oh, no. It's like a 40% men, maybe 60% women. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. In your community. At least it, with my experience. Yeah. Mm. So, and the women, and, and that's hard to kind of, women are going to go into, it's more likely that women would go into the shelter though, you know, because that makes sense. Like that's safer and it's smarter. And a guy can go sleep in the bushes and and not get as physically harmed, you know? Right. What kind of people are interested? You said you raised a lot of private funds. Like what kind of people are interested in, is this like individual, like $10 at a time kind of people? Or are there like, like really rich guys out there that just have a heart or something strange and that yeah are really into helping this cause. <laughs> There's definitely others. St- so I'm not the networker. I mean, I don't like go around town and uh, sing our song and ask for money, but we have other staff that do. To be honest, like there's some churches that are just really familiar with some of our staff and because of mm. their relationships, um, 
you know, they're just naturally, they come out to the village all the time. And so as their experience grew, so, you know, we believe, right, that, you know, it's all about your heart. And so where your heart is, mm. like your money will follow. And so it's just mm. natural that right. these That's people, why I was interested to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to ask, I literally have this written down on my notes. Um, but how important is Jesus? Like how important is like God or religion or whatever? I, it's like none of those words really in, like capture what I'm trying to say because it seems, but it seems like, cause you didn't say this in your origin story, but it is true that you started this in college or not you. I I'm not trying to like say you're I was there, like, yeah. one of the initial people the founding fathers. and the college that you went to though, wasn't it like a, it was like a seminary school or a Christian's college or something like that. So yeah. not a seminary, but it is a Christian school. So, so from the very beginning, like the type of people that decided to get involved in doing this and like giving back started in this private, you know, Christian college, which not saying that you did it for like religious reasons or anything like that. It's just interesting to me. And then it's also like you're mentioning like some of the bigger supporters are donations gathered through Christian people, at least privately through like church, church organizations, Christian communities and things like that. Do you think that that is like an integral part of what you guys do really? Or is it, Yes. is it really not so much? Oh no, it's like, uh, it's got to be part of our core values. So like God, community, home, purpose, like, so those are our four values. And so obviously mm. God has to be at the top. I, I really can't even express like anyone who comes there, it's it's just more understood. So it's just we're Christ centered by nature. So like I don't walk around. Right, and, you're not preaching to anybody. No, no one's got to like go to Sunday school or read Bibles or talk to you about your faith. Yeah, and we've actually you, you can be a big fat schizophrenic lesbian, and that's totally cool. Well, yeah, we've tried Bible studies, and that just doesn't really work. Um, I don't, I don't mm. even want to go to a Bible study. So it doesn't make sense. Other people right. would want to. Um, <laughs> right. It's just it's naturally going to come up if you share if you break bread with somebody like. Faith is going to come up no matter if, even if someone doesn't realize that it will, I believe that it will. And and it will at the village yeah. because we just believe, uh, you know, we just encourage people. I mean, I do have, um, I actually, I wouldn't say I have anybody who claims to be an atheist. So I'm kind of waiting for the day that we house somebody who doesn't love Jesus, but mm. I, you know, I'm a little <laughs> mind blown that for these people who have experienced like a hundredfold of the trauma that I had ever heard of, how they naturally discuss God. Like God is just in their conversation. So is like the F word and any other cuss word, right? Right. But But I'm sure that that has something to do with that experience that they had. I mean, if if you're kind of in a place where, because I feel like way quicker than these people, I could reach a place where I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to jump off a bridge because, you know, I'm, I have nobody or my prospects don't seem bright, you know, so, oh, well, I'll just end it here. And if you're in a position, especially young, where you, there's like this Elan Vital, this vital essence inside of you to live, you have like a life before you, but at the same time, you're being raped and being commanded to sell cocaine on the streets that 
you might describe that as having nothing mm. or worse than having nothing. Yeah. And to to have any reason to even to still be here at the point that you find a shelter, something must have had to help you. <laughs> you know, you must have had to believe in something yeah, well, there's to no, keep going. There's no one else to cry out to if no one else is there. So you have God. Like you realize right. God is there, whether he you think he's listening in some moments or or not listening or answering you. Uh, I can't even express like how many moments someone will be telling me something. We're just talking and I'll just start crying. The crier. Okay. So like, I'll just start. I'm going to start crying in a minute. Well, I just start crying because I like the presence of God is so real. Even if you're discussing something sad or something happy and, and I'm just amazed by it. It really is wild how much they it is in their nature to be Christ-like and to and have God at the forefront of their mind, like despite all the horrible things that have happened to them. It seems to me like, or you could tell me maybe if you agree or I don't know, but I I mean I really I believe this first part to be a hundred percent true whether you agree with me or not that the Christian religion have been so maligned and people, you know, think that they're the problem, you know, like you're a white Christian lady, like you basically are a Karen, yeah. you know, because y'all, and you care about homeless people like, Oh my, the like white knight kind of, and this, all these icons, this like conceptual meme of this type of person is just like being demonized. I mean, all the while while we're being told that it's actually them doing the demonizing of all these other minority groups. I'm not saying that there's not shitty people like everywhere. They're all over the place. I run into them constantly. But it seems to me that this, what you guys are doing, just, I mean, it's not a, it's not like a money-making operation. It's somehow is a career, if you want to call it that. But it's also, at the same time, really a better representation of exactly what I think the Christian message the whole the whole thing about what the quote-unquote church is you know there's the the thing you know the church isn't the building you know it's the people yeah kind of concept and that like what you guys are doing is an actual representation of what of the of the right the correct form of that like it's basically is like a proper manifestation of the christian religion rather than not there's no place for a church i don't know but like rather than just a building where you can't say shit in like literally you can't say you know what i mean like that's this kind of it's, it's like this fake pretending thing yes when that's not even real life like that's not even how people are right well you know that's so just a place we one, all act like when we go to that building once a week well and one thing about our program that makes us different so number one we're the only we're the only um homeless program in Lakeland that provides permanent housing. So like I plan to house all of the people I house for the rest of their lives, knowing that they've met the criteria of chronically homeless because they're mentally, physically disabled, a lot of times both. Well, so how do you help them? So like, so Ben was getting you to say this earlier. So they, these people, you do your outreach, they come in. And so you're clearly, you're obviously housing them. Oh yeah. And so they get basically a place to stay basically like an apartment, maybe a roommate, maybe not. And then they that's free. And that's being funded by the organization and by donations. And then 
so they're obviously they have access there. I'm guessing you guys have like a kitchen. You're able to feed them or give them meals, or you're able to get the don't the, whatever is necessary to do that. And then there's lots of fun or not so fun stories of all of these people that we could talk about. And there's also this interesting extra component, which I think is super important and super different and very interesting. Or you can you can help them get jobs, or will the organization itself employs them? So you're literally kind of com- helping someone like special eds people or whatever like Publix is pretty good about this you know a lot they used to have like a special needs person was very often there at the bagging checkout area and I always thought and Walmart I worked at Walmart one time and there were some special guys there and really to be honest all those guys mostly did was get the cards because that's pretty much all they could do and I always thought that's really nice (laughs) that these these mega corporations will actually give these people a chance to make a few bucks. Yes. You know, and they want to be part of society, but they have problems that they can't help. Like they have Down syndrome or they have schizophrenia. Or in this case, you have these people who are chronically homeless, probably for very similar reasons, either unbelievable trauma or un- or uh, mental illness that, but, it you know, just because you're schizophrenic, which can be really difficult and debilitating or just because you're, you know, have some extreme form of bipolar or whatever, all of these different things these people come in with, it's, you're like trying to offer them a life they can live. So is that, so is that, am I right on how that actually works? Like you're literally creating like an economy, a city, a whole thing. Yes. So yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of paranoid schizophrenics, um, autistic. I got cerebral palsy, people who have seizures, um, it is like the church, but the the difference with our program is that we're low barrier. So like I'm going to help an addict and there are lots of programs out there that other methods, they think you should be clean. Oh, right, right. It's just really difficult to actually do that. So we believe that like naturally an addict probably is going to be an addict for the rest of their life, but they're using Right. They, they probably can't get clean. Really. Yeah, they can't. I mean, that's who they are. And not who they are, because there's so much more than that. But we do believe like their usage will go down naturally. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to, of course, you know, you don't need to uh, do all these drugs because you're not alone anymore. Like you have friends who want to play cards late at night with you or drink a beer with you. Mm. So naturally, like the drug usage will go down or their their crime activity will reduce just simply by having um, a community that accepts them. And I can't tell you, like... You observe that all the time. Well, yeah. And when you first start, it's hard. You know, these people are used to being abandoned um, or, or if they abandon somebody, that they're not welcome back. And so one of my favorite parts about what we do is when we initially moved someone in. So at Christmas, we also moved in this new guy um, and he was born with cerebral palsy. He's had seizures his whole life. He's been homeless for 30 years. And, uh, you know, you would think, right? Like, okay, you move him in, he'll be all happy till the day he dies. And he's not. He cusses us out on a regular basis, comes in the office, loses his marbles and cusses us out. And straight up leaves the village. We'll be like, I'm out of here. And he drops his keys and he leaves. And and now I know like trauma that these people have experienced like literally changes your brain. And so they can't 
They can't react the way that we think that they can react. They don't have the vocabulary to even put into words what they don't know what they're feeling. And so, so they just sort of react. And a lot of times it's really loud and it's really mean. And so anyways, so, but with this guy, um, it's, we're on like once every two weeks he leaves and then he'll text us, you know, yelling at us, staff, you know, but you can tell that he doesn't feel loved. And so the other day this happened and another resident, this is where the community like is forming. And so another resident and him have like just become buddies. Well, the other resident texts him like, Hey buddy, where, where are you going? Hmm. You don't want to, you don't want to go anywhere else. Come on back. And the second that resident reached out, he reached out to us and said, can y'all come pick me up? I'm at the court. Uh, I'm at the bus stop in front of the court building. And uh, do y'all want me to come home? And me and my coworker were like, of course we want you to come home. That unit is your home, whether you want to be here or not. Like that, I see that unit as your unit. So we got in the car and we went and we threw him in our car and he had fallen on his storm away. He had fallen on the ground, hurt his knee. So now he's all banged up, you know, and so he's embarrassed about that and mad at himself for it. But you know what? He got in the car and he came back and then he's been super chill for a few days because he's learning. He is learning that, oh, I'm not going to be evicted. I'm not going like these people love me, you know, even though they're my friend. I don't want to be mean to my friends. Yeah. Yeah. But it's emotional. And he just to be honest, um, it's like the the public's worker. They don't know how to act in any right. other way. You wouldn't yell at the Down syndrome person. And you just don't know what people I, if you if people would just drive by homeless and just if you could read their stories and really just see all the amount of disorders. Mm. It's disorders on top of disorders. If you could just see that, you, know, you might not be so mad or you would know they're not lazy. They're, they need help and they're yeah. just not capable on their own. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, that because you were talking a lot about relationships and how important that is. And you'd also mentioned uh, work earlier. We had mentioned work, which happens at the shelter. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Like how do people... Uh, what do they do during the day when they're not just hanging out? Well, yeah, so we do have a housing program. So um, so they work, they have the option. They can pay their full rent and not work an hour. None of them want to do that option because they want to keep some of their money. Wait, what was that option? They, they, they do what now? So if someone moves in and they receive a disability check, they are actually able to pay their rent, which is 500 at the village. That includes all utilities, um, they oh, can pay I their see. rent and not work in our housing program. Oh, right. And the price of the housing is kind of like set at basically what someone will get on like a fixed income or something sort of kind of. I mean, it's clearly not $2,000, which it could be because that's what rent costs. Yeah, we're actually lower than the national, you know, standard for okay. low income housing. Like, Are you considered low income housing? Is that what it's because con- that's everywhere. Okay. Are you considered like actual low income housing? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. We only house chronically homeless people from Polk County. So, like, mm. someone from your county can't just show up um, and live here because we have to stay focused and we have to impact our community. And, and every other community should focus on how they should impact their community. 
So we, we have some guidelines there. Um, so yeah, so someone can pay their full rent or they can work five hours a week, pay two fifty half the rent, or they can work 10 hours a week. And the, most of the people who do this, they have no income. So they're people who are disabled, but they don't receive a disability check because they can still function enough to be in a housing program like ours or, uh, or whatever reason. They're just undiagnosed most of the time, which is why they don't have some sort of income. Um, and then, so these work hours, we have art classes, sewing classes. Um, one of our guys works the garden. And it has changed his life. Hmm. I believe in gardening. Yeah, I mean, he was one of our uh, hardcore mm. addicts. You know, threw the keys at us, cussed us out, and then we we just built the garden in November, and he lives for it. So, is that Razor? Yeah, it's Razor. I read this story. So there's a story on the Lakelander about him, um, about this resident of yours, Anthony Razor, and just a brief synopsis. Apparently, it says he was born in the 1970s, so he's an older man, um, amid family turmoil, and he was thrust alongside his two brothers into what he calls a shoddy foster care system, so sort of that trauma you were talking about. And then he said, frequently moving from home to home, he was mistreated and neglected, and the system taught him that he couldn't trust anyone. Um, But he says uh, in the article, after years of being in the system, he fled, uh, spending decades unhoused and living on the streets, and then, quote, I believe God writes our lives, but I think he wrote mine inside out. So, yeah, I thought that was very touching, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he lives in the garden, pretty much, and then I just, I'm amazed. Like, people will just show up, and he'll be like, you want to come look in the garden? You want to see what we're growing? And <laughs> he just naturally gives tours. He'll take the herb and go restaurant to restaurant and ask restaurants like do you want these herbs and he'll give them away for free or be like do you want to donate because he's just so happy to be there and he said you know he just he never experienced what it was like to have a home and now he feels that way you know and it was interesting that first year was dark you know like I said it takes them the first year is just such a transition period where they're learning like to accept and to be and whether you cut someone out or do all the drugs you want, I mean, I don't want you to do that, but you can technically do that, and I won't kick <laughs> you out for it. Mm. Yeah, no, he said at the end of that article, uh, I think of the garden like all of us. With proper care and attention, miracles can happen. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the things he Pretty says. Good. He's like, we joke that he's like the village therapist, and he just walks mm. around and inspires everybody. <laughs> interesting well yeah i can't speak so like that, that so basically they can either give over the check they can come in and actually work in one of these things internally that you guys do yeah we'll create a work opportunity i mean at one point we were housing a woman she moved away and was reunited with the family um but while we housed her she was 80 years old so imagine oh like oh my okay being housed by us and she worked she worked on puzzles all day and and that's not the norm you know but i'm just saying we will meet them where they're at that's so interesting that you guys do that so it's not really a financial thing cuz you'd probably rather have the 500 bucks for the whatever the company yeah. or whatever it is but for them you're like you can keep your money 
as long as you do puzzles. I mean, I know it's not usually that mundane. You'd actually give them something edifying or whatever to do, but literally there's not a financial incentive for you. It's not like you're going, oh yeah, you can live here, but you got to like scrub the toilets because, you know, we're now we're paying to have that done. It's not a financial trade-off really. It's just, we just literally on a philosophical or whatever moral level we think if you're doing something that you can feel proud of or whatever, that that's actually more of a benefit to them and to you to have people like that than have their $500 fixed income checks. Yes. So I've got another woman and um, because she does the art class and she's an artsy, I mean, she is a creator. Okay. Maybe won't ever sell um, something like on Etsy, you know, she's not gonna, she's not capable of like having an Etsy page. Her stuff is still beautiful and it's amazing and people will pay her for it or donate towards it. But she was one of our biggest, you know, meth users when we bought the village and just, she still struggles and she relapses, but, but she can be open with us now about mm-hmm. it. So like the other day she relapsed, she came in, she's crying her eyes out and she's like, help me. I want to be here and I want to be healthy and, and I understand this isn't healthy for me. And so, so yeah, we just believe that finding some purpose, you know, that's not really about talent, but it's just, what do you love to do? And you can do that there, you know, for the most part in some form of anything you want to do, we can recreate it. We explore a lot of different. Yeah. I I wonder how, I wonder how it'll change as things as you guys do expand because it's such a it's such an interesting concept it really does sound like utopian or something you know and i you know i get start thinking like it'd be so cool to like really have something like this work you know you meet someone from like another city or another state and they're inspired and they do this and you just expand this like method of helping people and then i just my the devil at, yeah. inside me says how long can that, how's that going to work? You know, like it's too good. It's just the too ripe for like the devil to just come and just like mess all that up, you know, like turn it into a profit motive or link it in the wrong way or make people abusing that system. Like they, you know what I mean? And then it just becomes like another conversation eventually like, Oh, welfare people, oh, food stamp people, they're just lazy and whatever. And then it does. And then it gets, it really does get abused in ways and just becomes a big, that mess i would it just seems like it's too good to be true like how cool the thing sounds i know no i get it maybe it's because uh we do i don't know i just all i know is it's god's village and so it's not rachel's village it's not any one staff member thankfully there's a team of us and so it's you know team decisions and uh i don't know you've got other organizations around that yeah, the dark side creeps in and that might happen one day, hopefully a long time away. And then you recover really fast. Like that is just life. Or, you know, do I just have faith that we might just be onto like a really interesting idea that will make sense for other communities and other communities are already doing it. So there's, I last I heard, yeah. there was like, 15 other communities across the country you have other options though i heard there was a um it maybe was even california where they were going to 
a lot of times homeless folks go into the hospital, right, all the time because they have chronic diseases as well. And so they'll go into the hospital and then like they have nowhere to recover. So so they'll just recover in the hospital and rank up the hospital bills or take up a bed for someone else who needs it, blah, blah, blah. So this one hospital is building tiny homes um, on campus for purposely for chronically homeless people that come up there. And so they'll house them in these more affordable options and the hospital still foots the bill, but it's not in the hospital space. They do? Yeah, it's crazy. I'll have to like look that up and show it to you guys. But so that's a whole, that's a Does big- the government give, do you get some kind of kickback? Does the government do anything for whatever you are, like a low income housing or like if the hospital puts up some tiny homes, like is there- some kind of assistance that the government's doling oh, out yeah, in we that. Get government. I mean, the the grant we used to purchase the village was technically a COVID grant, technically used towards those affected by COVID, so that you would provide single person housing, right? During the <laughs> whole, you don't stand six feet away from somebody, right? So to put people in homes, protected them against COVID. Blah blah blah. So, but even other than that, the housing program that I run, that 10 hours a week, that's a grant funded program. So that's government funds. And we are upfront about who we are, right? We are a Christian nonprofit. And, but we hold these opportunities for people to, uh, you know, work for their rent. They actually still receive a portion of the funds of, of the 10 hours a week. They receive 25% of those 10 hours and they, uh, but it's government money, and so we couldn't do it without it. So it's partnered, I think. I mean, you could, right? God can do anything. <laughs> and maybe he's swayed people there to to guide them towards us, to choose us. So is it is it mostly is it mostly government or like or like you wouldn't be you could not keep running without private donation or could you or right now, no, we would need private donations that we receive mm, right now. That's interesting. I feel like that would be the only thing that would make it better is if it not that not to not take government money, but that like it was so obvious to people. Like, I feel that is like a way to keep things accountable. You know what I mean? Like if you want my especially nowadays, like if you want, I never give money to people who have like one of those clipboards and they walk up like, oh, you know about homelessness. Oh, you know about food. Because I'm like, I don't I don't know anything. You're going to try to get 30 seconds of my time, which is a lot of time for this kind of interaction. And I'm not going to know anything about you in that amount of time. And I'm not going to give you any money. And I think a lot of people have that kind of skepticism now because there's always like things that turn out to be frauds. And people are just scared to just, oh, if I'm going to give my money away for just to you and I'm just going to trust you to do something good with it. You do. You have to you touch know. and feel it, right? And that's and that's where our donors. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've been here. Most of them. They have been to the village. They are actively involved with the village, and that's why you know they give. So it also I'm sounds amazed. like the types of people you have working there are angelic or something to be able to handle the I kind mean, I of call everyone angels like all the time. It's just like, I mean, I just maybe see that in people, but uh, no, no. I mean, we all definitely are very human not perfect you have to you have to humble yourself you know <laughs> and we all do i do think right now we have a, we have a really great staff and, you, and we've hit our bumps and people have to take mental breaks like if you need to go down to part time you know we've had staff do that and um and that's okay you know um 
thankfully I have Ryan. I come home and I have such a healthy support system at home. And I, I hope, I think like God blessed me with that so that I could go and love on these people, you know, in ways that, so that I can try to help them have what I have here, you know, just a home, a happy home. Like that's okay to have that. And, um, yeah, and it's going to impact your city, even if you reduced it to just the effect that it has on crime reduction. You know, if that's what you wanted to bring it down to, that's a huge, that's a huge impact on a city. Like what city wouldn't want yeah. less crime, you know, and it's just plus the real actual happen. moral benefit here, I believe, is the fact that, like you said, these are humans with having a horrible experience, like a really horrible experience. <laughs> Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, yeah, kind of like the sustainability of this model and whatnot. It obviously requires funding from other people, which I think if people are involved, they can you know, see it and see how impactful it is. And so that seems fixable to me. But the other thing maybe that seems a little more difficult is having people who have the courage um, and bravery to go and do this kind of work. Because I think a lot of people may be kind of afraid to deal with homeless people who have those kinds of problems. And I know that you know, it's not always easy dealing with the residents. So maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, we definitely have transitioned some employees, you know, people, it's funny, people think, oh, it's so cool to help homeless people. And it is cool. But it's they do it for the gram. It's yeah, it is so hard. Most people, a lot of volunteers don't, you know, I would say they either they're there, they be there all the time, because they genuinely fall in love or they are scared and like run out the door and it's just funny and go do whatever you are supposed to do. It's nothing wrong with that, but no, it's like a, it's a rough crowd. It's a stinky. There's a lot of times stinky cry, you know, it's hard. <laughs> there's a lot of smells, yeah. a lot of drugs and a lot of cussing. Like, so it can be very, you know, you think it's happy go lucky and it's like, well, it is, but it, there's just really hard, dark moments too. So, um, I don't know. A couple of our staff members, we do have this new interesting position. Um, we call it a missional. So um, we have a 23-year-old who lives at the village and she pays her rent and she actually does work on staff. She also works another job somewhere else. Um, but the whole point of that position would be that Basically, she's a good neighbor. Like she's there to be mm. to teach them what a good neighbor is. Because a lot of times, you know, obviously they they've never experienced even a home, so they wouldn't know what a good neighbor is. Which is, you know, in this community, it is it's purposeful. So like every Thursday night, we have a community dinner. So, um, we have a pavilion area, and whether What's what's cool to me is that there's so many volunteers that love it that I think we're like two months booked out that uh, outside of staff, volunteers are paying for the community dinners and hosting it with the mission. Also, our mission, that's part of her job is that she kind of sets the stage, hosts it, guides volunteers on what to do and where to go and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, it's it's really so so many people are volunteering and funding it that it doesn't cost anything. Right now, it doesn't cost anything. That's yeah, crazy. No, that's where for community starts. We can, I kind of jokingly say like, oh, I'm gonna bribe somebody with uh, 
I'll buy someone like a Frappuccino to do something for me, you know, or in the residence, like if I want them to speak at an event or something, I'm like, <laughs> I'll buy you whatever. things like that. Um, but because community is, you know, it happens a lot of times when food's around. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. For the 4th of July, I was telling everybody about um, a lot of the residents don't get seafood, you know, um, and they love seafood. You know, imagine all your grocery shopping being done at the Dollar General. Okay. Mm. Imagine you couldn't go anywhere else. Okay. So there's no, there's no fresh food. You might get like bananas there, but there, I don't believe there's any fresh food there. Um you're not going to get like fresh meat, right? It's going to be like probably frozen meals for the most part, frozen meals, chips, sodas, blah, blah, blah. So, so we actually got a grant that we used, uh, it's 10,000 a year and we use those funds towards a community pantry. And so every week, um, our missional is in charge of that as well. And so she'll go, we buy in bulk, right? You want to be wise and get as much as you can. Um, and so, and then we'll divvy up like the meat and the chicken and, um, and fresh produce, like things that these guys, they don't have cars. Like they can't get, Mm. they could get on a bus. Mm -hmm. A lot of times that's difficult. They're either scared or not physically able. So it provides them some healthy food because otherwise they'd be eating at Dollar General. Um, but yeah, so my idea was, uh, they never get seafood and it's kind of expensive to use up like the grant fund. So I said, well, how about for like July 4th, you know, we have like a viewing party cause we're right downtown and they're going to do fireworks anyways. And I said, I've been telling a lot of the residents like, all right, we're going to do like a seafood boil. Okay. I'll, I'm gonna cover it. And, um, and so yeah, for July 4th, I'm just excited to you know, have everybody, we're just going to sit in the parking lot and have a seafood boil. And it's funny because I know if I tried to host this two years ago, it was just awkward. You know, everybody was kind of new being neighbors and, and judgy. And then now everybody's like hanging out and they'll totally be there. Even if it's just for the food, they'll sit there and eat, but really they're going to hang out. I'm like amazed how much that's changed that, you know, a five minute I'll sneak in and grab food has turned into, oh, I'll chill with you for three hours and, and we can joke around and goof off, whatever is going to happen. <laughs> that's funny. Mm-hmm. It sounds fun. I mean, it's weird because you're like, that's some of those things are like the things that make life good. And then some of it's like, I don't want to eat frozen dinner every night either. So it's, but so it's nice that they at least get that. Yeah. Do you know? No, it is. It's a. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to ask, do you know? I don't know if I should say how much does it cost to, for like one of these people like to live a year or how much does it, does the government think that it costs? Like how much were they, are they, will they pay for this person to actually survive per year? Well, yeah. Like anybody who receives a disability check, right? Like the biggest one, uh, it typically ranges from like seven to 900. So do you know of a place that you can rent for that amount of money? You know, Mm-mm. If we weren't there, I don't know. Like, I honestly, they'd probably be, they could probably be renting a room in some shady place or, or living a lot of times oh, yeah. people are living at a shelter, collecting a check and they'll just waste it. Like they'll sell. I mean, I know way too much, but it's like, 
you know, they'll just give their money away uh, for drugs, mostly if they're still on a shelter or clothes. I've seen women, they're so, they're like five-year-olds, you know, mentally, uh, and they'll just they'll literally shop on Amazon, like with all their check. So the whole system doesn't really make sense. Like if you asked me if we could, right? yeah, we could redo it. And if you're going to say someone's disabled, you should, it should make sense. They're not capable of housing themselves. They can't, they're not capable of maintaining their meds. They're not capable of cleaning their laundry. I mean, we help some of our residents do their laundry, you know, so you, if it could be done different, if you're going to deem someone disabled, uh, I wish that it was not so that we could make a lot of money off of it, but just so that the money maybe went towards housing first versus giving it to someone who is not capable of managing it. And we try to help them. You know, I can, I can give advice all day about a budget, but uh, at least I know our system works. So it's mm-hmm. affordable housing and, uh, and then they get yeah. financial freedom with like the pricing that we had. So. Right. Yeah. Well, I wanted to go back. Maybe I had one last question, actually, just because you said something about the shelters, like they're not for chronically homeless people. Do you know if that like what the usage on those shelters is like, like do chronically homeless people typically end up in those shelters or is it actually being used like it's supposed to be? Um, no, it's they're there. Yeah. All the chronically homeless are there. So if you could. So there's in and out, in and out. Yeah, every night they're over there, but then they're addicts, so they'll they'll dip out, you know. But they're full. I mean, our shelter's full. I would think every shelter. those places are just a room, right? Like that's just a place to sleep at night, basically. Uh, that's what a shelter. Imagine being is in a gym like area sleeping. So they separate the men and women, but it's like uh, you know youth camp night, but like oh on steroids. Oh god. I mean, imagine sleeping next. So no dividers. It's just a room with cots on the ground or not even. They actually have bunk beds in ours and uh, in the shelter here. It's right next door to us. That's why I'm like pointing. But uh, (laughs) they have bunk beds. And so just the ladies are always telling me they hate sleeping in there because there's no peace. You know, Um, Mm. imagine sleeping. I mean, imagine sleeping by 10 paranoid schizophrenics so they're probably yelling at you because they think they're paranoid about you you know and uh it takes years to develop Hmm. trust even though a lot of them do know each other for years um but still there's just a lot of pain it's just horrible it is not meant for you're not meant to do that to sleep in one giant (laughs) with a bunch of people yeah there is something really uh holy and sacred about having a space that you can retreat to that's your space that feels like home you know not a house it's not about structure um even though i think it's important that it's so we're we're very passionate about single person housing so i'm always telling people like no roommates we do have rules on overnight guests Mm. you get six guests a month okay because (laughs) i know i've learned from experience we have housed i've done the roommate thing i really tried multiple times for many wrong reasons because i'm like <laughs> save money if we put two people in one unit or mm. learn to love each other or just whatever you think your your human mind coming up but it's not right it doesn't work not 
you know, for these, not for these people. They need, they need their space of retreat and it's going to feel like home. Yeah. Roommates is hard anyways, as a normal individual. Well, yeah. And then they'll change. Like the goal is they would change and then contribute to society like Razor does. I mean, he was two years ago, a meth addict and uh, in jail. I mean, most of the, most of them are in jail every other year. And now he hasn't been to jail since he's been at the village. He could have been. Hmm. That first year was rough. He told we could any other landlord would have called nine one one if you know you spray painted whore on someone's trailer anywhere else, which happened, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. But, you know, we know that you're probably high out of your mind, and you did that, and you're gonna say sorry, and and you will move forward. Like we can, we can grow from this and he did and it's just crazy and so now yeah he contributes right like he grows he is the garden man grows uh i don't even know how many like fruits and veggies all the herbs and we hosted a market at the village the other day so all these vendors came and you know like food trucks and things and um and so he hosted like a little stand he made 333 dollars oh my goodness Oh, yeah, it's like a magic number. No, I just asked because, uh, yeah, it's clear that those things are not the solutions. Uh, the homeless shelters or, uh, yeah, jail, like the cops intervening. Um, and so... <laughs> or hospitals. Right? Yeah, so I just thought, yeah, it's interesting what you guys are doing. And it seems like an actual real solution that is legitimately changing these people's lives in a way that I think the things that people talk about all the time, which are like jail and homeless shelters are not working no that was never meant to be and even what's funny is our police department a month ago called a meeting went door to door to homeless um organizations and uh some other nonprofits, including us and they went door to door and they're like we want a meeting and we want to talk about the homeless problem so i went to this meeting it was like three weeks ago and I was actually impressed. I'm like, wow, like our police are saying that, you know, we don't want to just arrest these people. We we see their mental. Mm. You know, we want to get them to the help. And the director of the homeless coalition was there and she's like this sassy woman. And she's like, yeah, we're doing lots about it. You just don't know. And here I'm <laughs> educate you. And so she got real sassy, but then provided all the oh resources. Oh, my God. Oh, it's amazing. She's amazing. And so she, you know, gave all the resources out. Okay, if they're, if they're, uh, you know, having uh, a drug issue, you go here. If they just have no money, they go here. Like, you know, there are options. So, but I thought that said a lot about my city. Like Lakeland is, mm -hmm. I just live in a good city that it's small enough that uh, it's, a, it's really like a, a neighborhood in itself it's not like orlando and tampa like those guys have gotten too big and and they're meanies you know and it's just some of their issues are out of control and they have to it's going to be hard to reel it in but lakeland's not there yet and so you're in a sweet spot of developing yeah lakeland's like a nice suburb kind of area for the most part with like a pretty with like a nice city vibe in some spots a little bit yeah, but then you still have like a skid row. People don't put up tents over there, but we've got Memorial Boulevard. And uh, if you drive down that road, then you'll see that there's still, or we have a park called Mud Park, and that's where all the homeless. So it is a big city. 
You have do you have like a down is there are there like skyscrapers downtown or no? I mean, you know, there's tall buildings. I don't know if there's skyscrapers. Really? Well, I just I just mean yeah, I just mean tall buildings because I'm trying to con- I'm trying to think of a place around here where like because you rent run into homeless people kind of everywhere, but like definitely certain areas more so than others. So I was trying to imagine the the kind of city and try to think about some place around here where you would know. I went to Savannah. Me and Ryan went there like a year ago. And- oh, like yeah, like Savannah. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're everywhere. I was surprised. I didn't expect that, but I'm like, well, he's homeless. She's homeless. they're all homeless. Like, I, there's a lot of homeless walking. Yeah, around. there's a big college there. I it's a little bit like Athens, but not quite where I went to school. But yeah, Kim went to school in Savannah, so I I was there all the time. And uh, my first, I was t- told the story. My one of the first homeless people I encountered when I would go down to visit her. Uh, I'm pretty sure, I think I told this, but he like pulled a flower off of a bush like right in front of me. And then tried to sell it to me. So I gave him five bucks or whatever. And then he was like, only five bucks. I want the flower back. And he took it back. And I was like, wow, dude. Like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> What's funny is that I've had a guy and I he had just ripped a flower off. He gave it to me. Well, I, I was on the phone in my car and I set it down and he yelled at me for setting it. He was like, that's what you're going to do with it. It like hurt him that I did that. And uh, I felt so bad, but I'm like, I'm on the phone, you know? So like reality for me is is reality. So funny. Yeah. So wild. But now that we know those people got something else going on most of the time, a lot, a lot, a lot, yeah, (laughs) a lot more going on than just layers upon layers. And, and they're, they're not what, what you people think they are, you know? So, (laughs) yeah. Us people, we don't know. Yeah, but they're the best people. I mean, really, I love everyone. They're the most genuine people. Like, I feel like I... Um, oh, yeah. I've just not experienced this in any other set. Besides, like, Ryan, my husband, and my children, I just have never experienced what these people bring out, like, what they speak, like, who they are. I don't know. I'm just amazed. And I think maybe it's just all the darkness they've experienced. Like, they just cling to the light. But people who maybe see too much light, I don't know, don't, like, aren't aware of it or don't live in it. I don't know. But Mm. these guys are great. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, we just talked about that, too. What's wrong with these? What's wrong with these rich, white, liberal tech workers? (laughs) There's something wrong with them. I have played y'all's podcast at work before. It's so funny. And people will walk in and it's just like y'all's man voices talking. And they're like, what the, what are they talking about cats for? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my God. I'm like, oh, brother. Wow. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs>